Hi there, and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Today I'm talking on Palm Sunday. Did you know it's Palm Sunday today around the world? I'm going to read from Matthew 21 in the lead up to Easter. And so Matthew 21, I'm going to talk about Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And if you guys want to leave up uh, the QR code, if we can take a photo while I'm uh, just talking. Oh, oh, no, you're going to put the scripture up, right? After the scripture. Do it after the scripture. Great. Matthew 21. And it says, when they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say, the Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches, that's palm branches, from the trees. They spread them on the road. Then the crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, how, what a momentous mo a moment in history, everybody. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the Bible tells us he comes in on a, uh, a colt, he's got a donkey next to the colt, he enters in and as he comes in, the crowds begin to lay down palm leaves and they're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. And you need to realize, everyone, that this actually was the fulfillment of another prophecy in God's Word. In God's Word, for all the logical people, because I mentioned that in the last service, is that we get a lot of people who say, oh, yes, I'm not a Christian because I'm, I'm a logical person. I'm like, listen, if you're a logical person, then logically, when Jesus Christ has changed the world, history, music, art, nations, governments, democracy, is he's, the Bible is the undergird. Then logically, you would look and discover, as I did as a logical person, hang on a minute, what does the Bible say about this? What are all the clues to it? And I discover there's 300 prophecies about Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. 300. And to make one of them happen is like winning the lottery. Okay, so logically, I went, this is ridiculous. This is insane this cannot happen without a supernatural god logically so for all the logical people when you hear that i usually know that people are saying hi i'm proud <laughs> because if you're logical and humble you start studying where's all my friends you start finding the detail out and you need to know that in the bible there's these incredible details and prophecies and nuances and things that have been spoken of long ago that are all coming about that when you look deeper, you're like, this is amazing. And so this passage that we've just read was actually prophesied in Zechariah chapter nine, who prophesied 586 years before the event, or before, I should say, before Jesus was born, 
And Zechariah prophesied, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Here we go. Yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And Genesis 49 even touches on that one and a half thousand years prior again. So the Bible is prophesying that Jesus would come into Jerusalem riding on a colt and, uh, and that that would be, hello, the signal that the Messiah is coming now and he is going to die for the sins of mankind. Wow, good guess, Zechariah. Wow, what a good guess. Gee, he got lucky. And the other 300 major detailed prophecies, there's no luck involved. It is absolutely God speaking to people hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before so that those who would humbly look on would go, oh my gosh, the Savior has come. You know, when they said, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is an expression of adoration, deep joy, incredible praise. And really it was a special honor uh, that you would declare, and it's really saying this, uh, we are declaring honor to the one who saves. The people are saying, we are declaring your honor, Jesus, as you arrive through saying the words Hosanna, which is really deep honor to the one who saves us. And, uh, and another part of Hosanna meant save us now, <laughs> help us now. So the people are crying out to Jesus, save us, help us. And Jesus coming uh, on a donkey, by the way, was completely unique. And most of the times when you entered into the city through the, the gates of the city, people would walk in. You didn't come in on an animal through the gates of the city. And yet Jesus doesn't come in on a horse, by the way. Everything has meaning in the scripture and everything had meaning in ancient times. And if you came in on a horse, you were coming for war. You were coming to, for warfare. But if you came in on a colt, you were coming in for peace and you were royal. So when Jesus came in on a colt, the people got it that he was saying, I'm coming in and actually uh, humbly on a colt, but it actually signified royalty. And he was saying, I'm coming to bring peace, not war. Everybody, Jesus has come to bring peace to your life. And uh, the palm waving was really representative of, you know, throwing out the royal red carpet. And it was really depicting victory and rejoicing because of what Jesus uh, was going to do. And Revelation talks about too, that too, that they'll raise them at the end times. And uh, they will also be, you know, we will also be declaring that Jesus has won the victory for us. Interesting to note that Jesus said, get a cult too. And other chapters in the Gospels talk about getting a a cult that's never been ridden. And you're like, what is that about? Jesus, why would you want a cult that's never been ridden and you want to borrow it? So when you look into it, you realize that Jesus was saying, I don't want a horse because that represents war. And I also don't want an old donkey because old donkeys would go on certain tracks. They would be like, they put their head down, they just go and they dig up the roadway. They'd make uh, furrows, if you like, through the dirt, through the sand, through the mud. And Jesus was saying... I'm not gonna have an old donkey because you need to get from me. He's saying, I'm not taking you the old way. You're not going the way you've been. You're not going the religious way. Jesus was saying, and Hebrews nails it. He was saying, I'm gonna take you by a new and living way. Come on, that's what the Bible says. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna take you by a new and living way. 
So even the cult was representative of the fact it's different, everybody. It's new now. I'm not taking the old uh, donkey. I'm not going the old forward way where they just lock in and they know the routine. He was like, no, it's a new and living way, brand new. With me, everything's new. With me, everything's fresh. And uh, this is the start of a brand new day in Jesus' name. And I like it. Jesus said, I'm going to, I'll return it to them. I'll, I'll, I'll borrow it. There's a thought there as well. Jesus is also letting us know, you know, sometimes I'm going to borrow your life and uh, I'll borrow your life. When I've made you new, what is that? When I made you born again, when you've been born again into my kingdom and I've made you new, Jesus says, don't be surprised when I borrow you and I use your life and, uh, and I take you somewhere new, take you into new tracks and uh, God may actually ride on your life. That's a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> it's a bit weighty, but he also does that. He'll ride on your life. And uh, don't be a Christian who's always thinking, oh, well, this couldn't be God. It's uncomfortable. No, you're carrying him. You're carrying him. It's weighty. It's responsible. And it's new. I'm not going the old trodden paths. And that's why I want to say to everybody, if you joined us, uh, you didn't get saved with us, but you joined us from another church, don't come in trying to get us to follow the tracks you came from. <laughs> You're on a new path now. You're on a new, that track, that, we're not following that track. You're following that track. And God's trying to let you know, no, no, you're on a, you're on a new ride now. New day. Everything with Jesus is a new day. And then following the Lord is also, it can be weighty. Why do Christians always want to get the weight off? You might be carrying the Savior to a nation. You might be carrying the Savior to a home group. You might be carrying the Savior to children. You might be carrying the Savior to youth. It's a bit heavy, a bit weighty, but people are going to find salvation through your ability to be used by God. Let the Lord borrow you. You know, when Jesus came in, the crowd was shouting, victory. Hang on, I didn't get an amen on let the Lord borrow you. So you're listening too good. You need to say, amen, Lord, borrow me. You know, the crowd is so interesting. They're all, everybody's yelling for Jesus. And then later, <laughs> five days later, a week later, they're yelling, crucify him. What are crowds like? Never follow the crowd, everybody. Jesus, hallelujah, hosanna to the highest. And a week later, crucify him. It's a bit like pastoral ministry, really. <laughs> you have your good weeks and your bad weeks. Anyway, but, but you need to know we're fickle. In case you didn't know, Jesus doesn't get in a mood with you. You get in a mood with him. He's not in a mood with you. <laughs> we all get in moody. We can all be fickle. There's no perfect person. We can all be fickle. We can all be moody. Submit your moods to Jesus and say, Lord, help me with my moodiness. But everybody, God's not in a mood with you. He's not fickle with you. God doesn't say to you, I've gone off you this week. But the crowd are like, hey, Hosanna. Like a lot of Christians at church when it's going well <laughs> for them. And then when it's not going well, crucify the leadership team. No, I don't know. <laughs> They've upset me. We, no, we need to realize, hang on. Lord, help me to be faithful no matter what. Help me to be like you, Lord, loyal no matter what. Help me not to take on an offense. As you know, you've heard me being church for years is that I learned long ago when I'm offended, it means I'm controlling. If I'm offended and carrying offense, it means I have strong control issues in my life still. 
So I have to say, Lord, help me to not control people or control their responses to me. So it's like, oh, I'm upset with them because they didn't respond how you wanted. Now that's control. We need to say, Lord, I give you my control. Help me to forgive, help me to love, help me to learn from the Rwandans. Lord, to forgive people in Jesus' name. But we need to understand that God has not gone off you, any of you. You know, I said this in the last service and and it's, it's really true. God hates sin and he doesn't want me sinning. Why is that? Because usually sin impacts my heart. It's impacting me. It doesn't impact God's love for me. It impacts, sin impacts my love for God. Sin doesn't impact God's love for me. It impacts my love for God. That's why I wanna encourage everybody, make sure you've got a Bible app where you're hearing the Word of God daily. You wanna hear Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you got started as a new Christian, get it on. You wanna hear two chapters at least every day. You wanna hear a proverb a day if you can. I hear a proverb every day. And I'm always like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Lord, thank you for that. And then I'll go back and hear the same couple of verses over and over again so it gets right in my spirit. So by the time I get to church on Sunday, I'm not coming in here dead. I'm coming here fed with the Word. I've had some worship on as well. So when I get into church, I'm already well watered. And I'm lifting my hands and worshiping the Lord. But the enemy wants me away from the Word. Why? So I can sin. David said, I've hid your Word in my heart, God, that I might not sin against you. That's why he was hearing the Word. He said, I hid your Word in my heart, David said, so I might not sin against you. Why is that? Because he knows if I have it in here, I'll continue to love the Lord. But here's what, I don't find God, uh, this like God's like mad with me when I'm, if I've sinned or I'm sinning. He'll, he'll convict me and say, Jared, you need to get, your, get, get right with me. And I'm like, sorry, Lord, yep. And when I get my life right with God, God is quick to forgive. The time I feel God not happy with me is when I'm being mean to me. When I'm putting myself down, when I'm making excuses, when I'm sabotaging myself, that I can't serve in God's house and I couldn't change and I can't do anything else and I can't make a change and I can't be part of the team and I can't, I feel like, I'm like, I think I've just ticked off the Lord. And it's because I'm being mean to me or I'm hurting me or I'm stopping God's work in me and through me. So God's not ticked off with you and he's not in a mood with you, but he does, I feel, get a little bit, mm, when you're mean to you. Stop being mean to you. Stop being mean to you. When you're imperfect, don't be mean to you. That's why he came. When you sin, don't be mean to you. God's not being mean to you. He loves you. That's why he came. So stop being mean and say, Lord, help me, Father, to be kind to myself. Help me to learn from you because you are kind to me. In actual fact, the Bible says kindness, his kindness leads us to repentance. So be kind to you, everybody. Be kind to you, but just let the Lord take you in a new and living way. When the Bible talks about fickleness, it's about switching loyalties. God doesn't switch His loyalty from you. So we can say, Lord, help me not to switch my loyalty. You know, who saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Just so, if you did, just so you know, the word passion, it actually comes from the Latin word. So passion in English actually comes from a Latin word and it's a Latin word for suffering, suffering. 
and it means to patiently bear and to endure something. Jesus knew that when He was coming into Jerusalem, riding in, that He was about to suffer and He would need to patiently bear and endure so that He could die on the cross for you. He was about to be persecuted, tortured, beaten, whipped. One translation of the Bible that I read said He was marred beyond human likeness. Jesus was nearly dead by the time He got to the cross because they had tortured him so badly. Yet, the Bible says it was his passion, his suffering, which he was gonna endure for you. He was gonna take that, the suffering, the degradation, the rejection. He knew the crowd was gonna turn against him. Even though they'd seen the miracles, miracle after miracle, they heard him speak. They were amazed at what he said. And yet Jesus set his face like Flint to go to Jerusalem, knowing that when he went to Jerusalem, on this day, he would trigger his demise. Can you imagine going, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and I'm about to set off the trigger for my demise, my suffering's about to start. If I got a glimpse of that, I would have been like, you know, God, it's been good. <laughs> Over to you. Like, I like you guys, but not that much. Who could take it? Yet God's only son. Bible says, set his face like Flint. I'm going to Jerusalem to die for you, knowing I'm about to trigger the destruction of my very body, heart, life, but I'm gonna do it for you so that you can be saved. When Jesus came through the gate, a lot of people don't realize the gate into Jerusalem was the golden gate. It was the, called the golden gate. It was the Eastern gate. And you need to know that the Eastern gate has such representation. Um, you know, in the Garden of Eden, there was a, the, the, it was the, over in the east was where the garden was planted. The tabernacle in the entrance faces east. In Ezekiel's vision, God's glory comes from the east. The river flows from the east. And the, in the temple, the same. The temple, God's temple faced east. What is that about? The east is where the new day begins. The east is where the sun rises. In Jesus coming through the golden gate, the eastern gate, he was saying, it's a new day. This is brand new. Today, everything changes. This is the, this is the sunrise of a new beginning for you. He, said, he was saying, I'm gonna liberate you into a new life, a new future. Everything changes here today. And also in Hebrew, the name of the gate in Hebrew, listen to this, is it's the gate of mercy. Jesus said, I'm gonna give you a new beginning and I'm coming through the gate, the Eastern gate, the golden gate. But in Hebrew, it actually means it's the gate of mercy. God says, through my mercy for you, I'm gonna give you a brand new start. Your sin's gonna be washed away. You can have eternal life. You can have peace with me because today is the start of a brand new day. Ezekiel 44, I checked this out as well because it was logical to check it out, right? Because when I logically look, the gate is locked up today. Why? Ezekiel 44 prophesied 590 BC that the gate would be locked up. And today it is locked up and uh, Suleiman closed it. It's been closed several times, but he closed it finally in 1541. And uh, it's been closed up according to, hello, uh, the scripture again, Ezekiel 44. Well done, Ezekiel, good guess again. He prophesied 590, the gate will be closed up. 
until Jesus returns. And when He returns to the Mount of Olives, Jesus is gonna kick open that gate and remind everybody that I'm the God who gives you a new beginning. You know, um, Jesus came to set us free, everybody. And when He came into Jerusalem, I love it, Luke 19 says, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But then some of the Pharisees, the religious people in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're far too noisy and they're all yelling out at you, praises, basically. And Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, saw the city, look at this, he wept over it and said, if you, even you had only known on this day that what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, listen, if I tell them to be quiet on this day, even the rocks are gonna cry out and worship me. And then Jesus got near the people. He saw the people he's about to die for. Hello, he saw you and me and he wept. This is the savior of the world. He wept over you. He didn't weep over, oh, poor me. Look what I'm about to go through, I can't believe it. He wept over your lostness and His love for you. And He cried and He wept, but He said, I'm going to come and I'm gonna die for you that you can be saved. And He says to the religious, listen, you guys, if you'd have known this day, oh my gosh, it would have brought you peace, peace to your heart, peace to your mind, and peace for your eternity. But instead, it's hidden from you. Why was it hidden from the Pharisees? Because they were proud. Whenever we think, well, me and God have got a deal. I know God, I know this better, I know that better, I know this, I don't need Jesus. I, <laughs> then Jesus says, if only you'd known on this day, it would have brought you peace, but instead it's hidden from you. Everybody, C.S. Lewis said that pride is the most malignant of cancers. <laughs> he said, we need to humble ourselves and if we had humbled ourselves, if the Pharisees had humbled themselves, they would have seen Jesus. There's another passage where it says, you know, the Pharisees declared that, you know, we see, we understand, we're the religious. And Jesus said to them, because you say you see, your guilt remains. But to the prostitute and to the sinner who came and said, Lord, I'm lost, I can't see, I'm blind, I, I, I need help. Jesus said, I'm gonna forgive you and you're gonna be saved and healed. Everybody, Jesus wasn't a hapless victim. He was God's only son, willingly coming to die for you and me in Jesus' name. He's come to bring peace to your heart. He didn't come to bring to fight against the Roman rulers. I thought Jesus is gonna come, he's gonna take out the Roman rulers. No, Jesus came to bring peace to our hearts, peace to our minds, peace to our family, peace to our future and to give us eternal peace. Let me read scripture, John 16, 33. It says, I've said these things to you that it may, that in me you may have peace. Now look, right now again, in the world, you will have tribulation. Jesus knew even now we'll have tribulation. Then he says, but take heart, take heart. I have overcome the world. Thank God. Philippians 4, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. We can't even work out how God does it. But the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Everybody, that's God's promise to you. God wants you having peace in your home, peace in your job, peace in your business, peace in your life, peace in your family. He's the God of peace. And the actual fact, the Bible says in Isaiah, He is the Prince of Peace. How amazing that the one 
heading to death, whoever he's shouting to, not knowing Jesus would be crucified a week later, the one heading to death was in fact the Lord of life. The one heading to death was in fact the Lord of life, and yet Jesus was willing to do it. Everybody, can I encourage you today, if you had a religious upbringing like me, that won't get you into heaven. If you went to a religious school like me, that won't get you saved. I did both of those, but I had to, at a point in my life, say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. What you did on the cross, that's everything. And I put my faith and trust in what you did. When I did that, within days, I had said to my mother and my brother, I can remember saying it still to this day, um, I'm going to heaven. So I'm going to heaven. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know that I know. No one told me. I never read a scripture on it. I just knew that I'm saved. How many people who are married know you're married? <laughs> Any married people here know you're married? We don't have to say, hey, are you married? And you're like, oh, I just need to pray about that. <laughs> if you're saved, it's the same thing. You know. I got saved February 17, 1981. Check your calendar. It was a Tuesday night, about 8.20, 8.30 that night. I've never forgotten it. If you're saved, you know you're saved. It's not like, oh, you know, um, uh, well, <laughs> uh, it's not that. You're probably not if that's where you're at. If you're going to eternal life and you're saved, you've got peace with God. Jesus set it all up. When I prayed that prayer and I meant it, that night, that day, that week, God met me. You'll know you're saved. Everybody, I want you to leave our service today with peace in your heart, peace in your mind, peace in your life, peace for your future, but most importantly, eternal peace through a relationship with God. Could we just stand up on our feet right now? Could we stand up? Could I ask everybody just to close your eyes right where you stand? Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us, and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member, and let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.